Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from the Horsham Church of Christ. For more information, please visit our website at www.horsham.org.au. Father God, we thank you that uh, you are good all the time and your love endures forever. Thank you that every good thing is a gift from above, Lord. Thank you that you are our perfect loving Father who doesn't neglect his children. Thank you that we can be a part of what you're doing here in Horsham and around the world in a practical way such as bringing these tithes and these gifts and these offerings into the storehouse that they'd be used for your glory and your purposes to make your name known across the earth. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hello, everybody. How are we all? Good. It's good. Nice to see you all. Thanks for being here today. Uh, If you're visiting with us, it's uh, a pleasure to have you here. Thanks for joining with us today. Um, Feel free to make yourself known. If you're not here with somebody, find somebody that looks friendly. Sure. That's all of us. That's right. It was a trick question and Pam got it right. We're all friendly here, aren't we church? Yeah, good, okay. All right, open up your Bibles to uh, Mark chapter 19 and we will get into the Word. We continue this uh, series this month titled, He Said What? Uh, looking at the phrases of Jesus, uh, some of the weirder things that Jesus said and and why he said them and and what we could possibly glean from them uh, in today's day and age. Knowing that what Jesus communicates, what he says, how he says it can actually transcend space and time because Jesus, uh, though he walked the earth for a short amount of time, God lives outside space and time. And so we can take the things that Jesus did and things that Jesus said and go, what are you saying to us today, Jesus? So that is the whole idea behind this series. We just go, um, I've read that phrase a few times in the Bible, but I'm not really sure what that means. So we're just digging a little deeper into that. And so today we're looking at the phrase, where uh, a conversation where Jesus says it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than it is eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. How many people have uh, read that in their Bibles? How many people have gone? Yep, that's as clear as mud, and just kept on reading and to get to the next bit because that doesn't really make sense about a camel passing through the eye of the needle. So uh, let me read through it and then we'll uh, dig a bit d- dig a bit deeper into it. Uh, and I love that it comes straight after. Matthew 19, 14, where Jesus says, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these, on the day that we celebrate Operation 1914. And verse 16 says, Now a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Which ones? The man inquired. Jesus replied, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't give false testimony, honour your father and mother and love your neighbour as yourself. Tick, 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 all these I have kept, the young man said, what do I still lack? 
Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth, or some translations might say he had many possessions. And then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Peter answered him, We've left everything to follow you. What then will, be, what then will there be for us? And Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, at the renewal of, renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wives or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. So here we have a conversation that starts off with uh, Jesus and a rich young man and it's told in uh, both Matthew and Mark and Luke and it's a little bit different between Mark and Matthew and Luke but we're sitting in the Matthew one today Uh, and this guy is probably around about the same age as Jesus he would have been between 20 and 40 years old we put Jesus in his early 30s so this guy could have been about the same age um, and maybe a Pharisee just by the conversation and the way the things that he says to Jesus we get the idea that He is a rule follower. He knows all the different aspects of the law. Jesus says, all right, well, here's some of the commandments that you needed to follow. And the guy says, yep, I have kept all of them. I have been a good follower of the law. He might have been a Pharisee. He knew what was required to be a follower of the law, to commit to the law and to live that out in all of his life. His mistake comes because he believes it eternal life in order to have eternal life in order to have life forever in the kingdom of god comes from following the rules and this is where we can read a a story that is two thousand years old and learn from it for our lives today it's really easy to get into the mindset of do you know what i've just got to follow all the rules and i will get into heaven i've got to follow all the rules and i will be okay with jesus And there's an aspect where our relationship with Jesus actually calls us to do the right thing. But if we break our relationship down to, I follow all the rules in order to get what's coming to me, we've actually missed the point. We have missed who Jesus is and what he's done for us and what he wants to do in us and through us while we walk this planet. So Jesus has this encounter with this guy where he's looking to to understand what it takes to get into the kingdom, what it takes to have eternal life and finds that he's still lacking. Doing good things needs to be a result of our faith and our relationship with God. Because he's so good, I choose to do this. See, this guy had the idea that if I do the right thing in order to maintain my relationship with God, I must do the right thing. And Jesus comes and shifts his paradigm, his understanding of what his relationship with God looks like. 
And Jesus messed with people's minds because he introduced them to the concept of God as Father. Now, if you're, if you're a parent, you know that, generally speaking, you love your children unconditionally, not because they do anything for you. It takes a long time when you have a baby to actually get any return on investment. Doesn't it? Like, you have a baby, they are helpless. You know, it's like, it's not, you know, have a baby and we've had four and you have the baby and it's not, welcome to the world, I love you so much, now go and clean your pants. Like, you have to do that for them. Like, they're actually requiring more from you than what you can get from them. Because nobody has, well, I don't know, we didn't have babies to get stuff from them. We didn't have children to get stuff from them. We didn't have children that they would do stuff for us in order to earn their place in our family or in order to earn our love. Does that make sense? Like, we love our children. Whether they do stuff or not, we just, like, before they were born, we loved our kids. Which just is, is mind-boggling, but I just, I love this human that I had not yet met. And then when they're born and helpless and all squishy and mushy and cuddly and tiny and you can rock them in your arms, it just, you love them because it just pours out of you. And they don't do anything for you. They just make life harder. Don't they? Like they're not putting themselves back to sleep at two o'clock in the morning. You have to get up and sort them out. But you love them unconditionally. And this is what our Heavenly Father is like. Before, you can, before any of us can do anything for our Father, you, you cannot earn His love. My children can't earn my love. And I, look, I love it when they do stuff for me. I love it when they help out around the house and I love it when they contribute to the, to the running of the house and as they get older, that, that level of involvement increases and we have you know, conversations and sometimes that's easier said than done. But me loving them isn't dependent on what they do to help out around the house. Yeah? God loving me isn't dependent on me following the rules or doing stuff to help out around the house, which is the earth that we live in. He loves me unconditionally. The relationship that I have with Him is conditional. The love that I experience from Him is not conditional. God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son so that whoever believes in Him will never perish but have everlasting life. This is the promise that we have from the Father. So here's this young guy. He's like, I followed the rules. What else do I have to do? Yet just before this encounter is where we see Jesus saying to the disciples, don't stop the kids coming to me. Let the children come to me. And he lays his hands on the kids and probably he lets them sit on his lap and cuddles them and he blesses them and then they go on their way and Jesus goes on his way. And then in complete contrast is this rich guy that has everything he ticks all the boxes he's got stuff he's followed the rules he's probably well known in society in his community that he lives in and he says all right what else do i need to do and jesus says oh you've completely missed the point because it's not actually about what you do or what you have it's about the one that you're connected with and so jesus kind of messes with his idea of what it is to be to inherit eternal life 
There's something in this man's uh, heart and in his questions about having done all the right things and followed all the rules and ticked all the boxes. But he says, in verse 20, the man says, All these I've kept, what do I still lack? It's interesting, if you read through this story in Mark 10, it's actually Jesus that asks the young man, or that says there's one thing that you lack. Here in Matthew's account, it's the man that says to Jesus, what do I still lack? And I believe that this is one of the, whether it's consciously asked or subconsciously asked, this is one of the, 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 the defining questions that all of humanity asks. Whether that's before coming to a relationship with Jesus or in a search for a relationship with Jesus. What do I still lack? What am I missing? What do I not have in my life that I'm so hungry for but I have not yet discovered? And Jesus is the answer. Like that might sound trite or it might sound too wishy-washy or whatever. I truly believe it. Jesus is the answer. And we can work out the practicalities of that and what the question might be, but it all comes back to him. It all comes back to him. He's our reason for being. He's our reason for living. He's what it's all about. He's the one that makes sense of life. He's the one that I live for. If I'm not living for him, then who or what am I living for? If I live for myself, I'm not here forever, so that seems like a bit of a waste of a time. If I'm living for my wife, even to that extent, she's not going to be around forever, so what good is that? If I live for Jesus, the eternal one who had no beginning and no end, that kind of seems to make more sense to me, that I would actually live for someone beyond myself that's going to have a bigger impact in eternity than just the here and now. And so we have this challenge that the rich young man kind of invites us into, that Jesus invites us into in this story to say, what do you still lack? What are you searching for that you think is done by ticking the boxes, doing the right thing day after day, week after week, doing the daily grind that isn't actually meeting the needs, that isn't, that isn't fulfilling your need for something more fulfilling? Because there's only one thing that completely fulfills you. In life we might think there's other stuff we might try and find it in other ways but those things fall by the wayside it might be our employment it might be our health it might be our family it might be our stuff and all of that just eventually goes I loved Gary's communion talk it was a bit sobering to think about how much I'm actually worth how much would you pay for me if I was kidnapped Not $100,000. I can see that being the topic of lunchtime conversations today. What do you think about the message? I don't know, but how much would you pay for me? Well, all the potassium I'd get out of you. Um, when we got married, I wanted the latest and greatest in everything. And I thought that we should have all the right stuff. And it wasn't really, I don't know if I was trying to impress anybody, but it was just the idea that I had in my head that we should have new stuff. We should have a new couch and new fridge and new TV and a new VCR. If you don't know what a VCR is, go and ask your grandparents. <laughs> we should have all that stuff. Didn't need a computer because what was that? Um, So we did all that. We spent a lot of money on all that stuff. 
And then a few years ago, we sold everything. And I think by the time we went to America, the, the, the couch that we'd bought when we first got married was about the only thing left out of that surprise, surprise. All the electronics had died a few years ago. So it was just the couch. And then we sold that. And so when we came back from America, we started to get, like we sold our car to get to America. We started again. And some people might say, oh, that's really hard. But at the same time, I, I kind of reveled in it in some ways. That might be too strong a word, I don't know. But this opportunity to start again and to go, oh, actually, my priorities have shifted. What's important to me has shifted and it's no longer about having all the right stuff. So now we've got a second-hand couch, a couch that somebody has loaned to us, um, a car that was older than the one that we had before we went to America. Um, I think... The fridge is about the only thing that we bought from a shop and even that was the demo model off the floor and it was on, you know, dirt cheap sale. Um, the TV was a gift from a mate that couldn't bear the thought of us not being able to watch football on the weekend so he gave us a spare TV. But none of it, like, I'm not missing out just because I don't have all the latest and greatest. And... I would say I have my family and we're all the better for it because we've done all that together and we've learned some stuff and we're better off now than we were before. We're not, you know, rolling catch, cash by any stretch of the imagination. I actually did some look up to, the, um, to some looking up to find out how rich we were. So you can, like, if you want to just kind of mess with your head to find out how rich you are, just Google how rich am I and there's different surveys that you can do. And I did one that's, that put... I put in my income and how many adults are in the house and how many children in the house. So, and based on that, I'm in the top 15% of the world's richest people. Which is mind-boggling. And so what I want to get to with this is the question about, you know, we, we make it about how much you have and how much you don't have and it's not actually about that. And then I did another one that didn't just ask for my salary. It didn't ask for how many people are in the house. And that said, I'm in the top 1%. So if I don't have the kids, I'm in the top 1% of the world's richest people. If I do have the kids and count them, I'm in the top 15%. And if I'm kidnapped and sold for the water that my body contains, I'm... I don't know where I am on that scale. But it's really easy, I think, to kind of get caught up. And this rich man, he, he was like, all right, ticking the boxes, doing the rules, and I've got all my stuff. And that's actually what held him back. That's what stopped him in the end when Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven, and then come follow me. And he had so much stuff, he couldn't actually let go of it. And here's what, I, here's what I've learned, not just because it's an encouragement from Jesus, but because I've actually had the experience that your stuff, and for some of us, we might not hold on to our stuff and we might not care for stuff and that's great, but for some of us, we're like, oh, I love my stuff. Your stuff doesn't matter as much as you think it does. And we, like, we might all be okay and not hold on to the stuff that we've got, but really, all your stuff could disappear overnight and you might just have the life that you have and the family and the clothes on your back and you would be okay. Because even with that, even just being a part of this community puts you in the top 15, 20% richest people in the world. If you have change in your pocket, you're in the top 20%. 
So we can have a conversation based on this. And this reading has been used for people that argue for a poverty theology, saying that if you're a follower of Jesus and you want to be a real follower of Jesus, you shouldn't have stuff. And then at the other end of the extreme where Jesus talks about um, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. At the other end, there's poverty theology and then there's prosperity theology over here that says, you know, being a follower of Jesus means you're going to get rich. You know, God wants to bless you. He wants to make you rich. And then over here is to be a true follower of Jesus means you just go without to show that you're completely dedicated to Him. And neither are what this story is about. Both of them completely miss the point. And before, I was talking about how rich I am in comparison to the rest of the world and how rich we all are compared to the rest of the world. It's because if you want to talk about how rich you are in order to inherit eternal life, you want to talk about how rich you are to be a follower of Jesus, who are you comparing that to? Because if we do a comparison in this room and then we kind of all equal out and some of us would be up here with how rich we are with our, our stuff and our money and some of us would be down here and then it would all equal out somewhere here and most of us might be in this kind of gap and all right so we're that kind of rich but then if we did a survey and we compared us to a a church in Africa or in India or Indonesia like we are super rich if we're just going on monetary value is that what Jesus is asking for there's like a, a dollar value cut off to be a follower of Jesus I don't think that's the case I don't think that's what he's looking for. So the rich guy comes to Jesus and he says, what have I got to do? And Jesus says, you've got to sell all your stuff and give it to the poor. The amazing thing is that if he's followed, this guy has followed the commandments all his life, it means that he's given stuff to the poor before. Because that's one of the rules, that's one of the laws that they would have had to follow. So it's not as if the guy is adverse to actually having donated to the poor. He would have given alms to the poor as being a devout Jew, as being a, a, a good religious boy and doing what he should have done, he would have given stuff away. But Jesus says, the stuff you've got is actually what's in the way. That's what you lack, is that you hold on to the stuff more than you hold on to me. I feel like this is a real challenge for us today, is to go, what's actually my highest priority in following Jesus? What do I hold on to the most? Is it, my, is it my stuff that in a moment could be gone? Is it my health? Is it my, my worldly status? Is it what people think of me? Is it about wearing the right clothes? Is it about driving the right car? Is it about having the right job? Or am I willing to let all of that go? Here's the phrase that we're uh, looking at today. I tell you the truth, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. I don't know if you're a visual thinker, but just have you thought about that? Just imagine a needle. Like, I can't even thread a needle really well with cotton thread. Now just try and visualise putting a camel through that and that kind of response when Jesus says this to his followers in the day that was kind of they'd be like Jesus 
a camel through the eye of a needle. But we read it and we go, oh, a camel through the eye of a needle. I wonder what that means. It means it's impossible. And so there's this idea that the camel going through the eye of a needle, that there was some gate. Have you heard this one? That there's a gate called the eye of a needle, it's called the needle, or it's about this massive city gate and then there's this small door, if the gate's already closed and there's a small door through the gate that you can open up and the idea that the camel going through the eye of the needle was going through this small door and for a camel to go through this small door you'd have to take off all this uh, luggage, everything it was carrying and the camel would have to get down on its knees and kind of shuffle through. That's not actually what Jesus was talking about. It sounds great because we love that visual con- concept of like, oh, it's, it's possible, but it's really difficult. I see. And there's another one that says uh, the Greek word for camel is something like camelos. But if you change one letter in the Greek word, don't quote me on that, all right? If you change one letter, it means thick rope. It's actually a word for thick rope. So some people say, oh, okay, so Jesus didn't mean a camel, he meant a thick rope, which is still really difficult, but it's still possible. No, no, no. Jesus said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. So how easy is it for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God? Near impossible. Why is it? Impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God because a rich man is holding on to the things that they own, the things that matter more than life itself in Jesus Christ. Because entering eternal life isn't about ticking the boxes. And in some ways it's actually about what or who you're going to hold on to, what is going to matter to you the most. So for, for some person, for some people, let me put it like this, the question is more, or can be, what does it cost for you to let go of your faith in Jesus Christ? So for some people, they might say, if I've got $1,000, so for some people that's a lot, like for my kids, $1,000, like, oh, you can buy the world. They think the ATM is just, wow, you go to a hole in the wall and you press a few buttons and it spits money out? That's amazing. No, it doesn't quite happen like that. So for $1,000, some people with $1,000, they think that causes them to lose their faith in Jesus. With $1,000, I can hold on to what's important to me and Jesus is no longer the priority in my life. He is no longer the, the governing force in my life, if I can put it like that. But for somebody else, excellent steward of money, incredible wisdom, very business savvy, built up their business and worked hard all their life, and they might have $100 million to their name, but they can be completely devoted to the kingdom and Jesus Christ. So we can make it about how much we actually have, but it's not how much... You have. I've heard somebody say, it's not how much you have, it's, what, it's about what has you. What holds me in such a grasp that I'm not willing to let go of it, to, to let go of anything that might hold me back to being completely devoted to being a follower of Jesus? 
And that's a question I can't answer for you and you can't answer for me. If we went around this room and did a survey and we'd find out, particularly in a farming community, there's different people with different assets and, and different debts and different liabilities and profits and losses and there's business owners in here and all sorts of different walks of life and experiences about what we have and what we don't have. But my measure isn't your measure and your measure isn't my measure. The measure for every single one of us is where is my faith? Who is my faith in? I don't want it to be as hard as a camel going through the eye of a needle for me to get eternal life. And it doesn't need to be if I'm willing to let go of all of it. All of it. To have life with Jesus. And I know there's, I'm incredibly thankful we are a very generous church, a very generous community. And I've, me and my family have experienced that firsthand to see people make incredible sacrifices and support us and encourage us. There's a, the, the young man says, what do I still lack? The idea, the word lack there can also be translated to be left behind in the race and so fail to reach the goal or to fall short of the end. And this man was scared of missing out. It's the, it's the first century FOMO. Who knows what FOMO is? Who doesn't know what FOMO is? If I say FOMO, most people, FOMO stands for fear of missing out. It's that condition that causes so many people these days that if they leave home and forgetting their mobile phone, they will now turn around, go back and get their mobile phone because they don't want to miss out. And there's this spiritual sense of FOMO, this spiritual sense of fear of missing out that actually causes us to search and strive and go after everything that this world has to offer because if I don't get it here and now I'm going to miss out. If I compare my race to somebody else's and I'm not measuring up by comparison to what they've got or how they're doing, even in Christian land, if I don't seem to be as spiritual as that person, if I'm not keeping up in my relationship with God as much as that person, if I don't have whatever, like it's just all noise that distracts us from actually pursuing the heart of the Father and all that He has in store for us. And this is why Jesus says it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Because it depends what you focus on. And so here is a call from Jesus to shift our focus, for this rich guy to shift his focus. I love this story as Mark 10 tells it, where Jesus and the rich man have the same conversation, but there's this point right before Jesus responds and says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus doesn't watch anybody walking away from him, anybody that chooses not to go deeper in their relationship with him with a sense of, oh, you're lost, buddy. That's the breaks. And neither does he go, wait, wait, wait. All right, okay, I may have been a little bit harsh. Let me shift the goalposts a little bit. Okay, look, just sell some of your stuff and then come and follow me. 
Jesus looked at him and loved him. And I can't imagine like the heartbreak that Jesus must have felt for this guy to be on the cusp of eternal life, to have this offer put before him from Jesus Christ and to go, it's too hard, Jesus. It's too hard. It's too hard. That word lack, it appears in Romans 3 as well. In this passage, Romans 3, 22 to 24, some of us would know this already. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference for all have sinned and fall short. That's the word, all lack of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. That's the beautiful truth of it is that we all fall short, we all lack and we can't make it up. And it's only through Jesus Christ that we get to experience God's goodness and His faithfulness and His salvation. It's a free gift that we receive from Him. How much is too much for you to let go of complete trust and faith in Jesus Christ? And it might not be a money thing, it might be a a value thing, it might be a, a status thing. It might be a family thing. It might be a relationship thing that you hold on to more than faith in Jesus. Promises of blessing and eternal life for those who choose the way of Jesus over the ways of this world. They're not our focus. They are the fruit of our relationship with Jesus. I don't think that you have to be poor to follow Jesus. Neither do I think that following Jesus means you get rich. I think following Jesus looks different for each and every person and we all need to be attentive to what Jesus is calling us to do and who he's calling us to be in order to be honest, authentic followers of him. This is my other thought in terms of, you know, how much is too much. If it was... If it was the same level for all of us, how do I, how do I put this? If, if we all received the same physical, tangible blessing from following Jesus, that would be our goal. Does that make sense? Let me put it like this. If all of us, say you started, say if Jesus was like Oprah, and following Jesus meant that we all got a new $50,000 car when you, you said the prayer or got baptized, whatever that might look like then that car would be our goal. Does that make sense? But that's, that's not what Jesus does. That's not our goal. Our goal isn't just to receive some kind of physical, tangible blessing. Jesus is our goal. That would be transformed into His likeness, that we wouldn't conform any longer, as Romans 12 says, to the ways of this world, but would be transformed by the renewing of our mind in order that we could follow and identify His good and pleasing, perfect will. He's the one that makes it possible. He's the one that invites us into this relationship to let go of the stuff that holds us back, that holds us down. I want to highlight this uh, as a... Um, oh, two more things. All right, Proverbs 30, you don't have to turn there, just in terms of how much is too much. 
Proverbs 30, verses 7 to 9. Two things I ask of you, do not refuse me before I die. Keep deception and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion, that I not be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or that I not be in want and still and profane the name of God. He, the, the writer of Proverbs is saying, Don't make me so rich that I don't need you, and don't make me so poor that I don't depend on you and try and work it out for myself. Both are absolute mistakes. The answer is the heartfelt, searching relationship with Jesus that puts him first and foremost in every area of your life, whatever that might look like. Matthew 20, the story that follows on, there's this chapter break in there where Jesus is talking about um, everyone that leaves and the hundredfold blessing and the eternal life. And then he says, but many, this is uh, 19 verse 30, but many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. And then he goes in straight into this parable of the workers in the vineyard. I won't want to read it all because uh, it's a message on its own. But I want to go down to chapter 20 verse 15 where the owner of the vineyard is now paying all the workers at the end of the day. And some of them have worked all day and some of them have worked for an hour, yet they're all receiving the same pay. And the vineyard owner says, Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? And I felt like in preparing for today, I felt like this, this was important to highlight this phrase, Are you envious because I'm generous? So if you don't know this story, there's some guys that have worked nearly all day in the heat of the sun in this guy's vineyard. And they were promised one denarius. And there's some guys that have worked half a day. And there's some guys that have worked a third of the day. And there's some guys that have worked for one hour of the day at the end of the day when the heat's starting to wear off. And all of them come, starting with the ones that have worked the least, and they get one denarius. So the guys that have worked the most think, oh, I'm going to get more than that guy because I started earlier. But they get to be paid, and they also get paid one denarius because that's what they were promised before they started working. All right? And so then the vineyard owner says to all the workers, are you envious because I am generous? But that are you envious is actually translated, can be translated, is your eye evil because of my generous ways? Is your eye evil because I am generous? And so in all of this, it's not even just about finances, it's a question of discipleship and where our heart is. Because in all of this, God says, is your eye evil because of what I'm like? Are you determining how you will see what I do and what I'm like based on your own experience? Or are you choosing to know God as Jehovah Jireh, God the provider, which far surpasses whatever our bank account looks like, whatever our wardrobe looks like, whatever our house looks like. How am I choosing to look at my Heavenly Father? Am I going to measure how I see Him by what I have and hold on to or am I going to choose to see Him by what He's like, what He's done in the past, what He's doing now, who He says He is, what He's yet to do? This is a question for us. Who or what will define our relationship with the Heavenly Father? 
and how we step into eternal life, how we follow Jesus as our Lord and Saviour. What gets in the way of being completely devoted to the heart of the Father and His good and pleasing and perfect will? And it might be nothing like... <laughs> this is kind of one of those... It, it, not, not a checklist message. It's one of those like heart check messages to go, do you know what? Actually, no, I'm completely devoted to being a follower of Jesus and nothing stands in my way of that. Sweet. Love it. But for some of us might go, do you know what? Actually, I feel like my job is more important to me. I feel like I've been prompted to quit my job, change my job, work more, work less, but Man, that just feels really hard and from where I stand, I don't think I can manage that. It might be we're involved in relationships with people that we need to, maybe we need to ramp them up, we need to apologise, make amends somewhere, but oh, that seems too hard. But Jesus is prompting us just to take that next step and to be obedient to his call. Some of it's, it might be, how we treat our spouse or our children. That we put our, our spouse or our children before we put the Lord. And we make our family our priority over Jesus. And you might think, look, this might be the first time you've heard about Jesus and, hey, Whatever that looks like, maybe it's raised more questions for you. We're happy to have the conversation and talk through what that is. Maybe you're not even a follower of Jesus yet and you're like, I don't know what this means, but you're making it sound really hard or make it sound really weird. It's not meant to be weird. Here is my answer. I follow him. He's the one that actually defines the way I make decisions, who I make decisions for, what I choose, what I don't choose. It's actually when I make him number one in my life that everything else makes sense. He's the one that governs how I treat my wife. He's the one that governs how I father my children. He's the one that governs how I love all of you. Like if I did it under my own steam, if I held on to what you think of me, how we react, how we relate, more than I thought of how he sees me, this would be even more of a mess. But because he's first, he overarches everything. I'm better for it. You're better for it. What are we going to choose? What are we going to choose? Let's stand together. Lack is not... Jesus doesn't lack. There's no lack with Jesus. He's that good. So maybe you, maybe you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. Maybe you haven't made that commitment to follow him. Then today's your lucky day. Today is a day that you can say, yes, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to dedicate my life to following you. Whatever that looks like, I say yes to you. And not because the guy up the front is telling me to, but because there's something stirring deep inside that says, oh, I can't go another day without following Jesus. Or maybe you haven't made Jesus a priority in your life. 
maybe you, you've said yes to following Jesus, but other stuff's taken over. Maybe whatever that looks like, whether it's work or family or stuff or cars or... Man, it all goes. It all goes. Jesus is the only one that lasts forever. This is, this is my hope and my prayer. Not just that I... I'm not trying to convince you. My hope and my prayer is that you would experience his goodness to know this beyond any measure of doubt that you might have, how good he is. And we could go through this room and hear testimonies. That would have been a better idea. Jesus, we love you and we thank you for for who you are and what you're doing. Thank you that there is no lack in your kingdom. Father, open our eyes to what you want to do in us and through us. And all that you've already done for us. Help us to see what you're doing and hear what you're saying. And to go deeper in discovering your good and your pleasing and your perfect will for each and every one of us.